Pastor Darius tearing it up on the guitar. How about a round of applause? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Thanks, worship team. And it's great to see you this morning, church. Welcome to second service. Getting dark in the mornings. Are you noticing it? Getting dark at night. Next week's daylight savings time. Of course, you know that. Spring forward, fall back. That'll be cool next week. But it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to second service. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. Uh, we see you. We know you. We track you. We actually have cameras in your house, so we're watching you while you're watching. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. It's good to have you with us this morning. Welcome. I, my heart is full. Um, you know, we have some amazing servants here at MRCC, and the, the team that Pastor Allison leads in our kids' church is just unbelievable. Yesterday, we had the Community Fun Fest here on the campus. A host of people spent the better part of their Saturday serving kids, and, and more than 500 kids from our community were here yesterday. Can we just thank everybody who put all that time and effort in? That's that's a big deal, you know. Um, you can tell them today because they look kind of hollowed out in the eyes and they limp. And uh, But, the, no, it was an amazing, beautiful day yesterday. Talk about a sweet spirit on the campus and everybody who helped make that happen. Gosh, we can't thank you enough. And we also had a, a huge crowd out, our biggest one yet on Tuesday for the, the mothers of preschoolers. The Mops Trunk or Treat on Tuesday was amazing as well. So, church, thank you. Thank you so much for serving. Cool stuff. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Let's remember that nothing pleases our Father's heart more than when we gather together as his family, brothers and sisters, to love one another. I looked over in first service during worship, and I saw a grandmother sitting with a grandchild on her lap during worship, and she had a look on her face like she'd already arrived in heaven. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me in that moment, and he said, Greg, that's how the Father feels when his family's together when his family's in worship. So know this, uh, God thrills. This, this kind of coming together, all ages, all backgrounds under, under the Savior, this is what our world needs. This is what the answer is, really, at the end of the day. So good to see you. A couple, couple things to call your attention to before we open God's Word together. And, and one of them, really big deal, and that is tonight at 6 o'clock is our church's annual business meeting. That's a once-a-year thing. Uh, we'll be here for about an hour tonight, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. But this particular annual business meeting is very important because not only will be, we be electing some new deacons to join our church leadership board, uh, but tonight we also have a huge decision to make as a church. And that is, under our church's constitution and bylaws, our board cannot by itself sign the contract with the general contractor to build the children's wing. But the contractor is standing by. They think they can start December 1st. Tonight, we as a congregation need to take a vote together to authorize the board to sign that contract and move forward with the children's wing. So tonight, we're going to have all that information here for you. Uh, there'll be handouts for everybody, architectural drawings, the, the price breakouts of what everything costs. And, and we need to take a vote as a church tonight in order to officially, legally approve that so we can move forward this December with the kids' 
wing. So I want to invite you to come out and join us tonight at 6 o'clock if you're a member of the church, you know, just to kind of be that guy. It's kind of your responsibility, so I hope you will be here for that. If you're not, though, you're welcome to come and be a part of what we're going to be talking about and doing tonight. Big deal. Tonight, 6 o'clock, annual business meeting. Also, uh, next week, next Sunday, is the first of our three fall membership classes. Every spring, every fall, we offer these same three classes. I teach them. It's an opportunity for me to get to know you. If you have decided that, that Mount Rainier Christian Center, MRCC, is your church home, and you haven't become a member yet, I want to invite you to take that step. It's very significant. It's a, it's a public I love you to the body of Christ. It's a, it's a commitment to one another. And, and so I want to invite you to consider being a part of those three fall membership classes, the next three Sunday evenings from 6 to 7.30. We meet down the hall in room 105, and somebody may say, do I have to become a member? No, but here's how you want to kind of think about it. I, I wear a wedding ring, and I don't wear it because I have to. I'm married even when I take it off. But I wear it because I want everybody to know I'm married. It's a, it's a public I love you to my wife. And, and so that's what membership is. So you're invited to join us uh, these next three Sunday nights. Uh, and then one last thing is that our Operation Christmas Child Boxes, it's time to start bringing those back in uh, over the next few weekends. Uh, there's instructions inside of them for, for how to bring them back, drop them off here at the church during the week on Sunday, whatever works for you. We'll have some trailers out here to collect them. Uh, we've hit another high this year with a little over 600 Christmas child boxes, so that's pretty cool, uh, but we need to start bringing them in, because see, if we take them home and pack them and then keep them, we really miss the point, right? So uh, the next few weeks, we're going to be doing that. Grab your Bible, church, if you would, and open it to Titus chapter 3, whether that's an old-fashioned Bible like old-fashioned people have, or whether that's your phone or your iPad or whatever. Titus chapter 3, turn there if you would. We're actually going to finish our uh, our journey through Titus uh, this morning, just three weeks, three chapters. Um, but let me ask you this this morning as, as we get started together. Have you ever seen somebody have a public meltdown? Have you ever seen this like at the supermarket or at school or, or maybe in a parking lot? You know, it happens. These, these days, it's like almost any meltdown is public because everybody's got a camera. There's a million cell phones and go online and, and watch these have you ever seen one of these happen? Or, or how about this show of hands? Have you ever been guilty of a public meltdown? Come on, be brave. Put your hand up. Yep, a few of us have. And a few of us are lying, but that's okay because we have grace here in church. But, um, you know, the public meltdown is a reality. We've all felt the temptation to it, right? I mean, it's a really good thing that none of our cars have rocket launchers on them because it would be a bad thing for us. We're tempted to melt down all the time. I, I want to share a few, couple of brief video clips with you, and they're about public meltdowns. And, and one of them uh, just happened a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you heard about this. The offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills was trying to run a hurry up at the end of the game to win the game, and he was trying to get the plays run fast enough to, to have a chance to kick a field goal to win the game. And the players were just moving too slow. And the offensive coordinator finally just lost it. Take a look at the screen. <laughs> you ever felt like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just watch him again. Yeah. Yeah. He just completely... And he's not the only one. He's not the only one. This next clip was voted by Sports Illustrated the most epic meltdown 
by a baseball umpire in baseball history. Now, uh, this, this manager is the manager for the AAA team in Chattanooga. This happened about 10 years ago. But he had a meltdown. We've all seen umpires have a meltdown, but we've never seen one go quite this far. So give your attention to the screen. He's just getting started, so soon. He goes on to yank out a couple of other bases and then haul them into the, the locker room. So it's, it's pretty funny if you want to watch the whole thing. But yeah, we've all felt like that before. And you don't have to be a professional to feel that way, especially if it has anything to do with golf. Take a look at this little guy. your hand if you've ever felt like that, right? Uh, we've, all, we've all been there. And you know, a, a meltdown can be funny in, in our family. When our son was about four years old, he had a meltdown and he wanted to call me the worst name he could come up with. And he shouted, you, you, you big head. And it just lives in our family to this day. But we've all felt like that. Now, sometimes they're funny, right? And we look back on them and we laugh and and sometimes, though, they're not funny. Sometimes when we're overcome in the moment, when our emotions overcome us and our impulses take over, sometimes it's, it's not funny. We've all heard way too many stories of road rage, somebody say amen, or assault at a school board meeting or a, a workplace. We've all heard too many tragic stories uh, uh, when people are overcome by their emotions, by their temper or, or their pride. In the fall of 2002, police in the state of Indiana launched an interstate search for a mother who was videotaped in a Walmart store parking lot repeatedly beating her four-year-old daughter in just a completely inappropriate way. And the video was so overpowering that they launched uh, a manhunt for her that spread to multiple states because when this mother, this first-time mother, heard that her, this video of her had gone public, she fled in panic. She actually drove from Indiana to New Jersey. Uh, but eventually there in a hotel room... Um, you know, confronted with this uh, 
overwhelming news media crush of images of this video, Madeline Toogood called up police and turned herself in. She said that when she first heard on the radio that police were looking for her, she couldn't believe it. She fled to another state, something she'd never done before, checked into a hotel under a false name. And she said it was in that hotel room that she saw the video of herself for the first time. And she said, I couldn't believe it. I was sick to my stomach. I love my daughter. But that was me on the screen. I was mortified. I looked like a monster, she said in tears. But I had to face the fact that that was me, that that was really me. And part of facing that fact was turning herself in. Now, uh, church, the reason I share these stories with us this morning is because God wants to talk to us about living above those impulses, about living above those emotions. In this passage of Titus chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about how that happens, about what happens when it doesn't happen, and about how it does happen, meaning how we live above those moments, how we never give in to those moments. You know, again, if I ask for a show of hands, which I won't, of how many of us have had a meltdown and now we live with that regret because of something we said or something we did, a lot of us would put our hands up, whether it was in our family or with a friend or maybe even in church or a workplace. God wants to talk to us about that this morning because here's the, the reality. He calls us, his sons and daughters, to live above those emotional impulses. He calls us to learn how to live above. And we're going to see in a moment, he not only calls us to do that, he empowers us to do that. He enables us to do that. Here, here's the truth about God you may not know. He is the most emotional person you will ever know. Nobody's emotions are as rich and deep and powerful and complex as God's are. Just read the prophets. Just watch Jesus' reaction to what's happening around him. But at the same time, no one is more in control of his emotions. No one is more the master of them than God is. Even unto the point where we should be condemned, where the whole world should be destroyed and cast into hell. God says, no, even though that's what I'm feeling because of the wickedness in the world, I'm instead going to send my son to die on a cross to forgive those people. It's not because he doesn't feel the sting. It's not because he doesn't feel the pain, the wickedness, the wrongness, the awfulness. It's because he lives above it. And he wants to talk to us about how that happens as well. So Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. In the first two verses, Titus is going to say, yeah, Paul's going to say to Titus, here's how my sons and daughters are called to live. And then he's going to talk about how that happens. So Titus chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says this. Remind the people, remember Paul's talking to the young pastor Timothy. The Holy Spirit is talking to us. Remind the people, God's people, to be several things. First, Subject to rulers and authorities. What does that mean? Talk about it in just a moment. Remind the people to be obedient. You know, to put it another way, willing to do what we're told, willing to do what we're asked to do. Remind the people to be ready. The word means eagerly prepared, ready to do whatever is good, whatever good things need to be done. 
to slander no one. Not just to slander certain groups or certain people or to have a certain, to slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. And to show true humility towards all men, towards all people. Now, let me just ask, do you live that way? I think if we're honest, most of us would say, well, sometimes, but sometimes not. But in this passage, our Father God is calling us, his people, his sons and daughters, to be a certain kind of people marked by some very specific qualities. You know, the old saying is, if you never know where you're going, you're assured that you'll never get there. So God says, here's where I want you to go. I want you to see what I am calling you to be. And, and he gets very specific about it. Let's, let's look at those for a moment. He says, to be the kind of people who are subject to rulers and authorities. That is, people who are willing to submit to the leadership in our lives, whether it's at work or at school or in our homes or in our nation, to be subject to rulers and authorities. Understand that the Jews in Jesus' day to whom these messages were sent in context were constantly resisting the government. They were constantly rebelling, fighting against it, trying to tear it down. And their rebellions became legendary in Rome. The most troublesome people in the whole empire, they were called. Why? Because the Jews believed that God's kingdom could be brought to earth by their rebellion. Jesus came and completely flipped that script. He changed that way of thinking entirely. In Luke chapter 17, he put it this way. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation." It doesn't, you won't say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. It happens from the inside out. The kingdom that Jesus is building happens to us from the level of our souls out. It doesn't happen from the outside in. Christians do not believe that the kingdom of God happens if we elect the right people or pass the right laws or create a certain kind of economy. No, we know better. We believe that Jesus wants to rule our hearts when we choose him to be our king, when we choose him to be the one that we submit to. This is important to grasp because this is the kind of people we are called to be. Romans chapter 2 tells us that in Jesus' day, the Jews literally gave God a bad name. Some of that's happening in our world today because followers of Jesus are acting as if the kingdom is something they can create on earth when in fact Jesus was explicit that it comes from within. And we are called to be a people who recognize that, who understand that, who know that. First time mom, Wendy Tyler from Austin, Texas, writes about her four-year-old daughter who's a strong-willed child. She has a mind of her own. And when mom told her to sit down in a heated moment of confrontation, the little girl just abjectly refused. So mom eventually had to take her firmly by the shoulders and sit her down on the couch to which, so she could talk to her. At which point, little Sophie Rose, she just sounds like a princess, doesn't she? At which point, little Sophie Rose, all of four years old, looked mom square in the eye and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> Four. <laughs> God says, 
He doesn't want you and I to be like that. He wants us to be people who choose to sit down on the inside as well as the outside. Why? Because we have a much more important business to focus on. And he's going to talk about that. We just want to figure out how to get along with the rulers and authorities so that we can share this gospel message of God's grace and love, of the real, never-ending kingdom that begins in the heart and that goes on and on forever. I remember when I was learning to lead a squad in the Marine Corps, and I realized very quickly when I was called upon to get these guys to do what they were supposed to do that I had to win their hearts. Sure, I could, I could maybe get into an endless fight with them, trying to force them to do what they were supposed to do, but I, I quickly learned that if I could win their hearts, I could get them to choose what they were supposed to do. And that was a journey. That was a process. I'm 19 years old trying to figure this out, but slowly I understood that if I could win their hearts, then I would win their obedience on the side. And it beautifully worked itself out because uh, there came something called the uh, commanding general's inspection one year and it came through and all these different 27 different detachments were inspected and scored and rated and, and our unit got number one on the whole base. And it was because we had stopped being just guys who fought and argued and had to be forced to a group that was working together towards the same goal. God says that's his kingdom. The winning of our hearts first. I love what Pastor Tony Evans from Dallas says. He says, these days too many people want the answers to our problems to come from whoever's in the White House. But God knows that the real answers come when we invite him into our house. <laughs> yeah, from the inside out. So he says, be those kinds of people. And then he goes on. He says, be a people who slander no one. Oh, my goodness, we have never lived in a time when more slandering was possible than the time we live in. Uh, with social media, we can say anything to the whole world almost any time. But God says, be the people who slander no one. Now, you say, what does slander mean? Glad you asked. The Greek word is blasphemeo. That's the root word. It means three things. It means to speak profanely, abusively, or falsely. We tend to say it's only slander if it's not true. God says, no, it's slander not only when it's not true, but if it's abusive, that's also slander. If it's profane, if it's disrespectful of another human being, that also is slander. That's a, wow. That's a, if, if you and I take this into our hearts, we will begin to give God the reputation he deserves instead of the reputation he doesn't deserve. And so he calls us as his sons and daughters to be people who, who slander no one. And then he goes on, he says, be peaceable and considerate. What does that mean? It means to seek and prefer peace in all situations. To seek and prefer peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers, the people who work to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God. They will be recognized as God's sons. That idea is here. And what does it mean to be peaceable, to seek peace? Well, if I can just use an illustration, my nephew down in Oregon just graduated from the police academy a couple of weeks ago. He's become a, actually a couple of months ago, he went through his breaking in period. Now he's, he's flying solo now. And one of the key skills he talks about that he learned in the police academy is that his job when he steps into any situation is to de-escalate. <laughs> to look for ways to de-escalate this situation, to calm this situation down. 
You know, Hollywood would tell us that policemen go in guns blazing. Tide would tell you that's not at all the case. We're taught to de-escalate whenever and wherever we can. God says you and I as his sons and daughters should be like that. How can we de-escalate in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever? How can we de-escalate? Makes all the difference. God wants us to live with that attitude. And then he says also, he says, I want you, Greg, to be the kind of man who shows true humility towards all men, towards all people, genuine humility. This really came home to me as a young believer when I heard Jesus teach me and say, if you even say to your brother, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I was like, wow, I say that a lot. <laughs> Actually, I use a much more profound version of that. God said, you know what, Greg, when you do that, that's worthy of hell. Oh my goodness, did that rock my world. I had no idea. And then suddenly I understood, oh, I, I'm supposed to show respect because every human being you will ever meet is made in the image of God. Every last one. <laughs> Everyone is made in the image of God. I could go on and on about this, but you get the idea. Show true humility to all men. Great illustration of this. John Wooden was the coach of the UCLA men's basketball program for more than 15 years, won 10 national championships. Largely considered the greatest coach ever. And at the same time, there was another coach who had the exact opposite reputation. His name was Billy Bobby Knight, and he coached at Indiana. And he was famous for being profound, abusive, hitting players, throwing things, temper tantrums, tirades. The guy was just the, the, uh, the worst. He won sometimes, but he left a trail of destruction behind him. John Wooden was asked in the midst of Bobby Knight's public enfant terrible, if you know, there's just bad behavior. Wooden was asked, what do you think of Billy, Bobby Knight, his answer, him being a, a follower of Jesus, is profound. He said, I have too many faults of my own to talk to you about his. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. God says, Greg, I want you to be that kind of man. I want you to be that kind of son of mine. And he says that to all of us. That's what he aims for us. So let us remember, like we talked about last week, that God's desire is that we should earn respect and credibility so that his message can be heard through us. And it happens when we aim for this. And the reason is because when we live like this, we are totally different than the world around us. And that's what Paul talks about in the next uh, four verses. Look at verse three of chapter three. He says, at one time, we too, we also, you and I, were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved, oh, that's a powerful phrase, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Wow, I can't come up with a more accurate description of our world these days. Being hated and hating one another. Why? Because we're deceived and enslaved. Paul says at one time you and I were like that, but things have changed. And they changed for one very specific reason, and this is the how. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, catch this, not because of righteous things we had done, not because we cowboyed up and got our act together. No, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God says this change, this ability to be different, 
to be peaceable, considerate, humble, all these things that God talked about. This is something that we can't achieve on our own, but God achieves in us supernaturally through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he offers that supernatural power to us. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit enters us. This is beyond medicine. This is beyond psychology. This is beyond earthly things. This is a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit enters us when we believe. And as we receive him as Lord, we are renewed and refilled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the experience is like being born all over again. And when that happens, the power to be different enters us. God just is not just saying, hey, get your act together. He's saying, hey, I want you to live this kind of life, and I will give you my spirit. And the washing and rebirth and renewal that he does on the inside of you will enable you to live that kind of life. And that's what we need. That's what our world needs. Notice how the apostle describes people who don't have the Holy Spirit. He calls them deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. In other words, prone to meltdowns, prone to impulses. Deceived in the idea that satisfying those impulses is somehow the road to happiness and joy and peace and success. And then enslaved by the consequences of giving in to those impulses. Apostles, it's a, it's a horrible way to live. Whenever I read this passage, I think of a man I knew many years ago in another church that I pastored. He had one moment when his temper got away from him. And in that moment, he had a meltdown. In an argument with his wife, whom he loved, in front of his daughter, whom he loved, the impulse overtook him. The emotions got to be too much. He took her and he slammed her against the wall. Can't ever happen. But it happened once. And in that moment, three of her ribs and her wrist were broken. He'd never done that before. But in that moment, deceived by his rage, overcome by his impulses, he gave in to it. I got to know him because it was after that that he called me from the jail, asked me to visit with him. We talked and prayed. He received Christ. The last time I prayed with him was when he left the courtroom for his 10-year prison sentence. When we give in to those emotional impulses, those are the consequences we reap. And God says, I don't want you to experience that. I want you to be able to live above that, free from that. Listen, church, your feelings are real, but they aren't true. Let me say that again. Your feelings are real. My feelings, they're real. I have all kinds of feelings, ideas that pop into my head, emotional feelings. They're, they're real, but they're not true. We're not meant to trust them. We're not meant to believe in them and think that they're the road to success. You know, I remember some years ago, I was having a rough week. It was just tough. Things were, parenting was hard and marriage was hard at that point. Work was hard and I was just having a tough week. And as I went home at the end of that week, I stopped off at the grocery store to pick up a couple of things and I saw that 12-pack of Reese's Jumbo Peanut Butter Cups sitting right there on the shelf, right? And, and, my emotions were all, I said, you know what? That's what I need. I'm going to go home and eat all 12 of them. I don't care. I'm just going to do it, right? And so, you know, I do. I go home. And do you think that made me feel better? No. My impulse was deceiving me, and then it was enslaving me. Because about an hour later, I was really unhappy that I ate those 12 peanut butter cups, right? It's coming out of both ends, if you know what I mean. 
That's what happens to us when we believe. I'm being a little silly, but it gets serious. You know that. When we believe in our impulses, they deceive and enslave us. So God says, hey, I know you feel. I feel, he says. Jesus feels more than anyone. Everything that you feel, he feels. But he says, I want to give you my Holy Spirit so that those feelings don't control you. On the night Jesus went to the cross, you know what he said? I don't feel like doing this. Father, may this cup pass from me. I'm just not feeling it. But then he rose above his feelings. And he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God wants that for you and me. And it comes when we receive his Holy Spirit. Most people never learn this. They'll spend their whole lives doing what they feel like doing. From simple things like using drugs or alcohol to get drunk or high, to engaging in sexual immorality, to complicated things like chasing guys because you think you must have one in order to be happy, or making it your life's ambition to, to get rich, or letting your temper run wild. There's a million ways in which it happens. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 4, Greg, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, that, those emotional impulses which is being corrupted by its, there's the word again, deceitful desires. You think you want 12 peanut butter cups, you really don't. And it gets much more serious about other things. God says self-indulgence is a road to nowhere. It's a lie. And this is part of the reason why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, she must deny herself. She must say no to herself. She must learn to say no to herself. And I will empower you to be able to do that by my Holy Spirit. That offensive coordinator from Buffalo has become a national joke, and I heard him talk to a reporter, ask him again about the same thing, because everybody he talks to everywhere now asks him about his meltdown. He's like, oh, I wish that had never happened. He says, I'm going to be living with this for the rest of my life. My grandkids are going to show me this video and say, ha, oh, ha, yeah, yeah. That's how desires deceive us. The Bible says that you and I have those. And God calls us to live above them. So how, how does that happen? Well, that's what Paul goes on to talk about. Look at what he says in, again. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things he did, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. It happens, it begins when you believe. I love to tell the story of a young lady when I pastored in Moscow, Idaho, a college town. She was a college student. Her and her boyfriend started coming to church after a few weeks at one of those altar calls, those prayers at the end. She gave her heart to the Lord. She came up and told me, him and her. She was so excited. She told me, yeah, I made that decision today. I said, wow, and we talked, made sure she had a Bible and knew a few things. All right, sis, you know, let's go forward. And I'll always remember that the very next Sunday she came back. She was in her early 20s. And she said, Pastor Greg, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, right after church, grab me. So, all right. so she sits right in front so she can grab me right after church. I'm thinking, what's up, you know? And uh, after service, she comes up to me and she grabs me and she took hold of my arm. And she says, do you realize the filth that's on TV? <laughs> now, understand, nobody taught her that. The week before, she received Jesus into her life and suddenly everything looked different. Suddenly what she'd been looking at all her life looked different. That's a supernatural thing. And when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you and changes you at the most fundamental level, down in your soul. 
Again, Jesus said it's like being born again. This change isn't something we achieve. It's something God does for us and in us supernaturally when we believe, when we receive his Holy Spirit. And it continues to happen when we submit to the goal that Jesus has for us. When we say, Lord, I, I want you to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. I want to be obedient to you. I want to learn from you. I want to experience your leadership. The Holy Spirit's influence spreads. Because really what we're doing is we're, we're yielding ourselves. We're opening up our hearts to his power. Let me, we're almost done this morning. Let me say this. God can do in you what you think is impossible. His Holy Spirit is capable of transforming you in ways you long ago gave up on. That's his power. It's supernatural. It's beyond counseling. It's beyond, you know, lifestyle changes. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. It is the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You know, all of us have inside of ourselves a part of us that doesn't want to do what it's told. <laughs> and specifically, when we're told to do something, it rises up. Well, I don't want to do that. Years ago, my wife said, you know, it would be good for you, Greg, if you would take a multivitamin every day. And I said, well, I'm sure it would, but, you know, I'm not interested. I don't have time or whatever. So then she started leaving multivitamins by the sink in my bathroom every morning for me to take. You know what my reaction was? I see that and I go, oh, no. And I'd put them over by her side, right? <laughs> to show her that I didn't take it, right? And then she wouldn't say anything. But then at dinner time, they'd be sitting there next to my plate. <laughs> so I'd put them in the potted plant in the center of the dinner and leave them there so they'd go away. I don't know if it helped it grow, but a lot of vitamins went in there. But you know what? There was also a part of me that knew, you know, she's right. <laughs> it is good for me. And so in my spiritual maturity and great Christ-likeness, I eventually said, I'll take them if you buy me gummy vitamins. <laughs> to this day, there's a jar of gummy vitamins by my sink. <laughs> Why do I do that? Because something's wrong with me, <laughs> right? And something's wrong with you in serious ways. And it can only be transformed by God in you. The washing of rebirth and renewal. So the message of God to you this morning is, hey, I'm calling you to a high standard. And to get there, you're going to need my Holy Spirit. Let him have his way in you. Here's how the scripture puts it. One story and we're done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. If anyone receives Jesus as their Savior, they are born again, to use Jesus' words. And each time you yield to him, that transformation just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Whenever I talk about this, whenever I read that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, my mind always goes back to a young man that I met when I was a brand new pastor. Uh, I was in my 20s. I'd only been serving the church as the lead pastor for a few months. This young man started coming to church. And then one day he, he said, hey, can I, can I talk to you sometime? I said, sure, absolutely. And so he came to my office during the week. And when he came, I could tell he was troubled. And so I asked him to tell me a story. We started talking and Slowly, he shared that he was completely controlled by his lust. That he had actually come to church desperately trying to find some way to escape the slavery of his lust. And his lust took a very specific form because of a lot of issues in his life. He would periodically 
give himself to another man or to other men in homosexuality. It never satisfied him. Didn't set him free. Just made him more desperate. Just made him feel more and more enslaved. He tried everything. Couldn't find a way out of it. I said, my brother, the only way out of it is supernatural. But here's the good news. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit turns you into a new creation. You're born all over again. I said, and that's what God wants to do for you. And it happens when you yield to his Holy Spirit. And, and so we, we had a dialogue going for a, a few weeks, and then he made that decision. And he changed dramatically. I still hear from him now and then. Today he's married, has a family, has kids. He remembers what it was like to be deceived and enslaved. Now he knows what it's like to be born again from the inside out, to be made a new creation. And he would be the first one to tell you he doesn't want to go back. He says, I was deceived, but now I'm free. God wants that for us. Not just in that realm, but in your, in your anger, in your temper, in your tongue, in your greed, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your uh, pride, in all of those things, in your depression. God said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? And maybe this morning, as you sit here, you would say, you know what? My impulses control me. I say things I shouldn't say. I, I do things I wish I didn't do. Yeah, I, I get deceived by my emotions. If that's you and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, then he invites you right now to do that. Just say, God, I, I receive your Son into my life. I receive your Holy Spirit into my heart. Be my Father. Set me free. In, in this moment, God is seeking you and listening to you. Receive his son and his Holy Spirit comes into your heart. Maybe you've done that, but along the way, you've just stopped yielding to the Holy Spirit. You've stopped seeking to be obedient. As a consequence, you've, you've closed the door of your heart to the Holy Spirit. He invites you to open it again. I wonder if this morning, maybe with every head bowed and every eye closed, you need to say, I need to yield to God that I might experience his Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand and put it down again. Just put your hand up and put it down. God sees. God sees. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you come into us whenever we're willing. And that in this moment, you're offering to do in us what we can't do for ourselves, to teach us how to live above those impulses. God, send us from here knowing that, that we might be new. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve peanut butter cups is never the answer. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.